Welcome to We're Building, the podcast celebrating and showcasing the very best of black businesses across the UK. My name is Godwin Usman. And I'm Daniel Pedu. Today's guest is a man who's literally shaping up our community. Mark McIver, aka Slider Cuts, is the multi-award winning barber, VIP, stylist, and from Joshua, Stormzy, Tiny Temper, and other celebrities. Pleasure to have you, Mark. Welcome. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really honored to be on your show. Amazing, amazing. Um, it's for our viewers, it's um, 7 a.m., um, probably a, your lunchtime, uh, based on when you start. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a bit more about um, yourself, brother, and kind of your background. Okay, um, well, obviously, I'm a barber as it stands. I am from Nigerian heritage. Um, I was born in this country. My parents came over from Nigeria. Um, I moved a lot growing up um, because of just uh, just just because of just moving um, a lot because of like my mom having a shop when I was younger that basically ended up getting robbed or her storehouse got robbed and long and short of it she had to close down the shop so then we were homeless and then we moved around a lot you know between the ages of like I don't know probably five and ten years old loads of different schools um, I got into cutting hair because we couldn't afford to go to the barbershop so I used to get haircuts at home. And then one day when I was like 13, 14, I just kind of had enough of these haircuts and wanted a good haircut. So I picked up the clippers and tried it on myself. Um, didn't go well, but I still couldn't afford to go to the barbershop. So, you know, I um, continued cutting and then, you know, started developing my craft. Simultaneously, from a young age, I was always interested in business at the same time. And this is where the two married into creating, um, I guess you could say, a successful business. You know, the interest in hair. Um, as well as cutting hair, but as well as the interest in business. Because um, I remember like when I was seven years old or six years old, I heard my mom say that my granddad used, used to own a factory that used to make rubber and sell rubber around the world. And um, I remember that stuck out to me and that really that stayed with me, like just from my whole childhood stayed with me. And I used to think about the idea of, you know, you know, using money to make um, money from that very young age. That was kind of like the trigger, the, the inception of that. And then, you know, just throughout the years as well, I was very interested in businesses, the way businesses ran and all those things there. And um, yeah, you know, fast forward, I'm, you know, 18, I get an unofficial internship in a barbershop. About three, four years later, I started um, co-managing that barbershop. Then about, you know, 10 to 12 years after that, um, I opened up my own barbershop, which is where I'm at now, where I've been here for like two years now. And I do various things where, you know, you know, various celebrities that people will know. I've um, been in various campaigns and adverts with like Nike, Izetto, Reebok, um, you know, appeared on news channels. There's probably quite a few, which I'm actually forgetting off the top of my head. I won a few awards um, for business and barbering. Um, Facebook, another one I've done, sorry, Facebook, Nike. Um, yeah, you know, I'm 35 <laughs> years old right now. This is, this is, this is where I'm at. <laughs> It's, it's awesome. an amazing, amazing come up story. Um, there's so many questions we have. Um, I want to know about the 90s influence and, and more to do with you growing up and and how you turned, you know, something that may be a bit difficult into, into a passion at such a young age. So I think I heard about you drawing shape ups in school. Um, so you really, you know, into your craft. Can you tell us a bit about those early stages? So before it became a business, when you're still a teenager um, and practicing your craft, can you run us through that? Yeah, so um, 
outside of you know poverty being a reason as to why I picked up the Clippers, um, I also always had an interest in actually in hair. So I used to watch um, haircuts on TV. And even though I'd never been to the barbershop, I used to look at people's shape-ups and be like, you know what? I think a shape-up should look like this and I think a shape-up should look like that. So in the back of my school books, um, when everyone used to like draw their tags and different pictures, I used to do that as well. But I used to draw shape-ups. Like I think I've still got a, a book from when I was younger. I think I still got a book from when I was younger that's got, I think, some of my shape-ups that I drew in the back of my, um, well, this was actually my lyric book when I was emceeing, um, because I just was really interested in the craft um, of it. And I just had this eye where I was like, no, this is how a haircut should look. You know, so even before I picked up the Clippers, when I look back, I realised how much I was into it more than actually just being, um, oh, just because, you know, we were poor and I couldn't go to the barbershop. That was more so just a trigger point, but the, the influence, the, what do you call it, the passion was already there. And you also talk about your faith. Yeah. Um, specifically, you, you know, you mentioned on Instagram, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whether you do do it with all diligence. Um, how much has your faith um, kind of guided your, your work ethic and, and this kind of conviction for your, for your business? Well, my faith actually has been, is the structure of my business. So it's, not, it's more than a massive part. It's like the main part because my business has been built around my faith. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about, you know, in, um, in, you know, in the barbershop, we have church services or anything like that. But I'm talking about more so the structure of the way I do business, the way I approach business, my ethics, and my morals around business are all biblical, you know. Um, and to break that down a little bit more would be like, so as example, you say, you know, Colossians 3, 23, um, that is, you know, you know, whatever you do, work with all your heart or your might or your power, um, like you're doing it unto God and not human bosses. The whole idea of that, first of all, for me was, no matter what I do, God is always there. So I can cheat people, I can lie to people, I can slack off for people, but I can't do that to God because God is always watching. And it's, I always had this ideology, imagine your human boss was next to you, <laughs> the whole time that you were working, mm. he or she will most likely get the best out of you because you'd always be on your best behavior and doing your best because your human boss or supervisor is right there. So if we take away that human boss, who's not always going to be there and you just realize that God is always there, then it's hard to slack because you always know that, would you call it, your boss is always watching and your boss is always there. So that means that knowing that that person's always there, it gets the best out of you. And that's what's happened with me. I, I got the best out of myself, you could say, through um, working for my, 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 not my human boss, but, you know, but God, you know, being my boss. Mm. So it meant that, you know, I was diligent. It meant that I worked hard. It meant that I couldn't cheat people. It meant that even when I would do things which were wrong, I'd be convicted to be like, okay, I need to better that. Or, you know, that's not right. Or, you know what, that haircut wasn't good enough. And all of those things there. So it really just helped, you know, to get the best actually out of me. And when it comes to my ethics, just the morals around it, the way I do business, you know, if you come to my shop, I don't, it's not simply about making money for me. You know, I have this real thing where I want everybody to make money and I want everybody to be successful and everybody to be able to provide for their families and do the things they want to do, whether that's go on holiday, you know, buy a place to live, have a car, the vehicle, whatever it is, right. But I've got this real kind of like heart for that. So I know that technically I could be running business a lot more ruthless and be making more money you know, 
but yeah. where my heart is at, you know, building people up. And that comes from, you know, this, this, the foundation of where my faith is, you know, I run awesome. business to help other people do good business as well. Awesome. I saw one of your uh, clips recently and I was like, okay, but you're Baba and, and this is what you're saying. You're talking about responsibility and you're speaking to our community. Um, and, you know, the story about the bike that went missing and that was in your care, but then you refunded the guy with, you know, a brand new bike. Um, that really was, you know, a step up um, to, 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 to people. Yeah. Um, but also, you've also spoken about, um, I don't know if this is still the case, you charge in terms of the pricing for your, your service, the same price the guy on the high street gets is what the VIP clients get as well. Is that, is that still the case? Yeah, yeah. So people always say to me, um, you know, how much does this person pay and how much does that person pay? Do you charge them more? And I'm just like, well, no, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, how can I charge them more because they make more money? You know, you, you, I can't go into a shop and they say to me, you know, a Mars bar costs more for me because, you know, I make more than this other person. It doesn't make any sense. So when people do those type of things, they, I just say ethically, it, it, it doesn't make any sense because we wouldn't accept it in our day-to-day -day lives but we think it's okay to do it to other people and be like, well, that person should pay more. And I'm like, mm. why should that person pay more? And I've had these arguments with people. I'm like, why should they pay more? They're like, yeah, because they're making all this money, this and that. I'm like, so? <laughs> mm. Like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, the price is the price. If they choose to pay more, then God bless them. And if they choose not to, then God bless them anyway, because yeah. your price is your price. Yeah. And, and in terms of, um, so going back to when you got your first break in terms of the, the apprenticeship at the, at the barbershop was that where you met is it frankie and and damon is that right what influence they had on you and seeing people that were before you yeah so when i when i met um when i went to my first barbershop which was with yeah frankie damon yeah they were my um they were the barbers above me they were the main influences at that time when it came to barbering and cutting hair well and even just the way barbering should run and shouldn't run because you know like the thing people don't even want to talk about is when you are watching people and studying people it's about looking at the good and bad things and not just taking everything that that person does or those persons um do as the way things should be done so yeah they were massive influences to me and they were so far ahead of me barbering wise it gave me a good range and stretch that you know uh, you know of length i had to get to so, you know rare. The road down there is so far, I, didn't, I couldn't even see how I'd even be close to them as barbers. So, yeah, those two there was massive. And it was helpful because there's a lot of barbers that don't have barbers that good in front of them. Mm. And that, that, you could see it in certain barbers who have been in, in it for so long. They never had the, not the competition, but they never had the challenge because the people in front of them just weren't that good. So I was very fortunate to have barbers that good in front of me. Okay. And, and in terms of, stepping out so what was the decision point to say you know i've been co-managing this this place i want to start my own what, what was the decision and and the process behind that um well so i was co-managing that place but i was dealing with all of the in co-managing the place i was dealing with all of the admin and just the business side of things you know the taxes everything so um I was doing that for, God knows how long, 10 years or so. 
And I just had all these ideas of the way a barbershop I felt should run. And some of the ideas of the way I thought the barbershop should run um, was in DNLs. But at the same time, there were still other things which I wanted to do, which I was like, you know, this is not running the way I want it to run. And, you know, just all those different things where I just had these ideas and I was really kind of like, no, it should do this, we should do that. And all these different things, right? So that was going on, you could say, for years, right? With all these ideas and ideas and ideas. And I just came to realize that, one, it wasn't an issue, like, all these ideas not being done in the barbershop I was in because, and this is something that people need to know as well. People always think because they got an idea or it's a good idea or they think it's a good idea or they feel like they know what they're talking about that people should just listen to them. Is, and it's like, no, it is somebody else's shop. So you live by the rules of the house you're in. And if you don't like the rules or you want to change things up or you grow up as we all do, you know, we get older and you start having these ideas of the way you want your household to look and run, then you go and move into your own place. And that's basically... Um, what happens it wasn't even an issue that some of these things weren't happening although it did feel like an issue to me not when I mean an issue I mean like you know like in my heart I was like oh, I really want this to be done I really know this will make it better and all these things there but it was like mm. this is someone else's shop so you don't get to have your your way in someone else's shop and that's what made me say okay you know I'm gonna open up my own shop because um I've just got too many ideas and too many things I want to do awesome awesome and and Mark you know with regards to opening your shop um Tell us a bit more about like the business side of that and, and um, how um, Lendo was, was able to kind of um, help you with that. Okay, so Lendo gave me my first, the first or second loan. And you might say, what do you mean first or second loan? I took a lot of loans to open up this place. And Lendo started it off, I can't, I, within the first two anyway, you know, loans I got. So when I opened up this place, right, this place came available, but it came available at a good time, but also a bad time. Because at that point, I literally had just bought a flat. So basically, when I left DNLs, to make it clear, I left three years after I made the decision and after I told everybody that I was leaving. So you know, yep. when we talk about notice period, I gave them a great notice period. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> so in those three years, or those two years before I found the place, I was constantly searching for the right location, right location, right location. But at the same time, what I did was I was buying a flat because I lived in a one-bedroom flat. I had, um, a, I had a son at the time, just one child, and I knew we were going to have more children. And I think, I can't remember when my wife got pregnant, but I knew we were going to have more children. So I was like, do you know what? I want to get a flat or a space that, you know, is bigger so that when we have more children, you know, because I know there's going to be so much investment that goes into this business. I want to make sure that my family was set up first. So I went and bought a flat, a free bedroom flat, which we live in now. And um, we, um, that took a lot of money. It cost a lot of money because I had to buy it on a buy to let. For those who know, I had to put down a 25% deposit. Yeah. I had to put down this big, all this stuff, right? So there's a lot of money I had to put out to that. So I just got it literally. And this was like January 2000. And I can't know, or maybe no, I can't remember, like maybe in the first few months of like 2017, something like that, 2000. Oh, 2018 beginning of it and then it was like cool this shop now finally came available I was like oh my goodness the shop's come available <laughs> I'm like whoa I've got no money I've got, I've got zero like I mean I've, I've maxed out everything you know like all my resources are gone now but I was like yeah. the person said do you want the shop I said do you know what 
yeah, I'll take it. So then it's like, I had a few months, you could say, or six months or so to find a lot of money. Like it was like, oh, a few thousand, I don't even mind talking about the prices. It was like 65,000 pounds for the lease. It was um, around 70,000 pounds for the building works. Yeah. And I had zero. <laughs> so Lendo were the first people that offered me some money when I told them my situation. And what was good about Lendo was that they, um, they just listened to my situation and didn't kind of like, um, Lendo helped me out a lot. You know when it's like, they, yeah. they get you started. Cause you know when you got zero and it's like, first of all, I need to find this 65,000 pounds to pay this, 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 yeah. this, to buy the lease. And you got yeah. no money. You know, Lendo lent me 20,000 pounds. And you know when it just gets you started, where it just kind of like gets you moving, like, okay, cool. What, what, what on track, you know? Cool, yeah. we ain't got no money. We still need to make a lot of money, make a lot of money. But you know what? Here's, we got some money. So yeah, so Lendo really, really helped me out. Them and another guy who lent me 5,000 pounds because he just heard me talking in a barbershop about my story. I was just talking about, yeah, you know, I got, I got the shop now. I'm just, you know, need to find money. And this customer just said to me, okay, do you know what? Um, I can buy you um, 5,000 pounds and then you pay me back whenever you're ready. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah. I didn't even ask him. He said, yeah, yeah, I'll pay you back when you're ready. And Lendo basically done the same, a similar thing where they gave me a wow. deal where they also said to me, I didn't have to start paying them for six months. Mm. Wow. And that helped me out a lot. But you know what I love about that, that transaction? Well, it's even beyond, it's not even transactional really, is that it's one black business supporting another black business and going beyond the you know, terms and conditions. And it's really about the relationship. Um, that's, what, that's what I really love. And it, you know, it, it kind of worked out. So, so thank God for that. Yeah, so, um, they altered, so they altered basically somewhere there. To make it happen, they basically altered, you could say, they altered some, not their rules and regulations, but they went above, how would you say? They stretched things for me. Mm. You know, oh. and that's what's good, what's good about them, which is the issue with a lot of banks, I, I say now, that they base everything off the digital world, you know, and looking at dig digits and figures and stuff like that, instead of actually looking at ideas where before, when you used to get a business loan, they used to go there and you'd have to look at the ideas fully and how would this work? You know, there's a lot more, it was a lot more relational and Lendo yeah. was a lot more relational in which is the old school way of actually seeing the idea and being like, okay, cool. We can see, you know, your finances right now aren't the best in life. And right now, you know, you seem to be maxed out, but we can see where this is going. And you know, just relational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Humans over algorithms, man. That's what I would yes. say. Um, so, so that's a beautiful story. How would you, how would you say the location played, um, uh, you know, how important was that vital to, to, to your business? Oh, it was vital. That's what took me so long to actually find a location. That's why it took me two years to find a location in the first place because they've always said it, location, location, location. So from the beginning, I was like, I need to find the right location. And I had all of these... Um, all this list of things that it had to meet, you know, it had to be um, near good tra um, transport links. It had to be near various buses. I had to have um, a train station nearby. You know, I've got three tr different train lines near here. You know, I've got an overground station, which is Hoxton. I've got another overground station. And Hoxton goes to, you know, um, all into South London, which meant that we could, if anybody come from South London, which we get a lot of South London customers coming because of okay. that line, because it's so easy to get, you know, straight from, you know, all the way from West Croydon, Peckham, you know, um, Broccoli, um, 
Lewisham, you know, Cat, not Cat for them, like, not Lewisham, sorry. Um, yeah, the same place next to Lewisham. Right, you know, but all of those different places, right? Shadwell, wherever it is, right? It's straight into the shop, easy train. Also, we've got um, Cambridge Chief at the end of the road as well, which is like 10 to 15 minute walk, depending on how quick you walk. And that's the overground that goes into like Enfield. All the stations around Enfield go to Tottenham Hill, I mean, go to Enfield, go to Liverpool Street. And then we've got Old Street Station, which is the underground, which is the Northern Line, you know? So it was like, the location was imperative to me. And even the way I found the location, what I had to do was, um, I was going online and I couldn't find places long and short of it to cut the story short. And then what I did instead was I started walking around locations that I thought were good and knocking on doors and saying, look, and also that's the thing, sorry, it had to have parking outside. That's another major thing as well. It had to have parking. There were a lot of available spaces, but there weren't a lot of available spaces that had parking. So okay. I um, went around places where I was like, this is a good location. So I was like, okay, great. Um, I just knocked on doors. Literally, oh, would you be willing? I said, this is, I know this is random and this might be a bit weird, but would you be willing to, um, you know, sell your place? You know, one person said no, one person said no. Then I came to this place here, which I'm in now, and I just knocked on the door and said, hey, sorry, you know, to be like intrusive. I know this might be a bit weird, but I'm just looking for a place because, you know, I'm wanting to move in somewhere. Would you guys be willing? And they actually said, do you know what? Yeah, we have been thinking about it because they've got two shops on the same road. They've still got the other shop on this road. And they're like, yeah, they've been thinking about letting go of this place. Then we started the process from there. Wow. So the location was great. And location, it's, it's handy. It's easy to get to. There's parking. There's loads of travel links. It's um, kind of it's central. There's loads of people from the city that come here. And also, I missed out one thing as well. I looked in areas that had, because I knew my demographic of people were like, you know, majority black people that had a load yeah. of black clients, but there was a lack of a barbershop there. Mm. So I didn't mm. go and do the typical thing where I was like, well, I see there's loads of barbershops here, you know, so there must be good business there. So I'm going to open up a barbershop there as well, which a lot of people do, which people told me to do. And I was like, nah, I'm not doing that. And people even said to me, look, you'll be all right because you've you got a good brand. Like, you know, you wouldn't close down. You'll probably close down those barbershops. And I used to say to people all the time, but I don't want to go down. I don't want to go and close down a business. Like, why, why, mm. why would I want to do that? That doesn't even make any sense to me. That's not good. And also it's kind of like, why do people do this thing where it's kind of like, yeah, there's good business there. Yeah, I'm just going to follow. Why not actually think to yourself, where is there good business that needs your services? And looking at the sensor and all those things there, you know, seeing the area. And that's what I basically did. And I just knew that this spot was perfect because I just knew it was an empty gap. And I wasn't stepping on anyone's toes because there wasn't no barbershop next to me or anything like that. You know, and it worked out. It's busy. We've become already in two years, you know, with a like a landmark in the area. Everybody knows us, you know, loads of people from the area come get their haircuts here. Um, yeah, so the location was imperative to the, um, this business. The name, Slider Cuts. I know, can you run us through <laughs> how, how that came about? Okay, the name is actually simple. When I was like 13, 14, around those same ages, when I started cutting hair, I used to MC. And um, that was my MC name. You know, everybody had an MC name. They were MCs or DJs or tag name. And Slider okay. was my name. So okay. everybody just referred to me as Slider growing up. That was um, my name. It became um, really synonymous with me, my character. It, it was um, me. So when I was cutting hair and I was opening, not opening up, sorry, did my first business cards, mm. I said, okay, Slider the Barber. Mm. That's what it was. And then um, when I started my website in, when I was 24, which is probably about 12 years ago now, 11, yeah, 12 years ago now, I was like, you know, well, what should I call the website, you know? slider the barber.com and you know 
I remember my wife and my older brother saying mm. that that sounded rubbish. And um, they're like, yeah, no. And um, simultaneously, they both said, actually, it should be slider cuts. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. And they're like, you know, slider cuts hair. I was mm. like, I was like, oh, okay, cool, yeah. Long and short of it, yeah, let's roll with that. And that's where slider cuts came from. So everything was slider cuts from there. It was just kind of like Sider, because Sider was my nickname and everyone referred to me as that. So it felt like that was my name. So it's weird because before I opened up this barbershop, one thing I didn't used to understand was when I used to even be in DNLs, a lot of people used to come to DNLs and think that DNLs was the barbershop. No, sorry, they used to think Sider Cuts was the name of the barbershop. Now, I didn't understand why people kept on thinking I was a barbershop, right? It didn't make no sense to me because I was like, well, you know, you only see me on my Instagram and, you know, I, I don't get where they get this idea from. Mm. Fast forward, I started realizing why. Because I was so connected to the name Slider. I, all the people who know me knew me as Slider. So it's kind of like, yeah, Slider Cuts. But mm. for those who don't know me, Slider Cuts, isn't, if I would have called myself Mark the Barber, then people would have always seen that as, okay, it's you. But because Slider Cuts is so kind of like, Slider is so like, means nothing to anybody. Mm. It started making sense. Oh, it just, it seems like some type of name or shop or something like that because it doesn't mm. connect with anybody. And they're not relating Slider to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think the name the name's obviously stuck and it's very unique. In terms of so going on to branding, um I know I've heard you say that you being inside your brand, you, you don't necessarily see it how everyone else sees it externally, but in terms of building that brand, what what were the steps? Was it just something that came naturally to who you are as a person or what was what was the calculated strategy or if someone was listening to this and thinking, how can I build a brand like, like Slider Cuts? What, what would you say was the process you went through? Um, I would say that I was business-minded the whole time, first of all. One of the main things, I was business-minded, meaning that the whole time I saw myself as a business. So before I was consciously branding and knowing even about branding, I saw myself as a business. And when I've done like lectures and like, you know, business talks, that's one of the main things that might seem very um, basic to people, but so many people um, miss because they don't see themselves as a business. You can't brand without seeing yourself as a business. You've got to first see yourself as a business. And then if you see yourself as a business, you'll make business decisions. And that's what happened um, with me. So before I was branding and, you know, thinking about all the things there, I was like, okay, I'm a business, so I should have a website. And that's why I was one of the first, if not the first anyway, um, barbers, solo barbers outside of like the main, you know, um, chain barbershops, the big ones that had a website because I saw myself as a business. So I was like, a business should have a website. So I got a website. And then when social media came out, similar thing. I um, thought, okay, I'm a, I'm a business. Yeah, I'm going to use it for business purposes because I saw myself as a business. So I was putting up haircuts. Other people were putting up date night and their lives and stuff like that. I, I, I saw this opportunity to put up my, um, my business. Um, then it's like, you know, I had slider cuts. And then it's like, okay, yeah, I want to get, a, you know, get a logo. I, had, I got a logo. So I wasn't at the time ever thinking directly, you know what? I am branding. Does that make sense? I wasn't thinking, you know, I was branding. I was just thinking about doing good business. Mm. And then afterwards, I remember people kept on saying to me at one stage, oh, you've really been branding recently. You've really been branding. And I didn't realize I was doing that. Ultimately, if you think business-minded and you put yourself in a business frame of mind, 
the things that businesses do, you will do even if you don't know that's what you're doing. So branding, promotions, but it's all these different things. You will be doing those things even if you don't like have the breakdown of like, yeah, this is exactly how, what I'm doing. And that's what happened with me. You know, it was just about, and also just feeling comfortable about putting yourself out there. A lot of people don't feel comfortable about putting themselves out there or feel comfortable about putting their brands or their businesses out there. I never had an issue with that. You know, once I started doing cider cuts, it was cider cuts. You see me wearing cider cuts every day. I'm in church, I'm wearing cider cuts. Why not? You know, people laugh about it, but I'm like, but we wear Nike and Gucci and whatever it is. And those are people's names as well. So you're so you're comfortable pushing and wearing someone else's name, but not your name. Why is that? Why should I feel awkward about the fact that I'm putting my name and I'm wearing my name on my back? Why should I feel awkward about putting my children in my name? But I'm happy to put them in Nike, Adidas, and, 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 and everything else, which is not an issue. I'm not saying they don't have no clothing or anything like that that has um, these brands. But my whole thing was, like, why are we so comfortable to wear other people's names and not ours? And that's how I branded, by, by, by going above those mindsets of like, you know, um, and I know I'm not giving you the breakdown of specifics of exactly what was done, but I'm giving you the mindset. When you get the mindset, then you just do things automatically without even knowing it. You know, you're just thinking business, you're just thinking branding, you know, how you put yourself out there, everything you do, you think to yourself, how um, do people look at my brand now? And then also, here's, a, here's some practical basic things, codes and ethics. There's a lot of businesses, right, that don't have um, a code of conduct for their business or what their business represents or what it stands for. I had that when I was a solo barber, you know, sole trader barber working in someone else's shop, renting a seat. I had a code of conduct. This is what Cider Cut stands for. This is what Cider Cut believes. These are the Cider Cut's ethics. And there were big businesses, you know, which are shops and they don't have that. And it's like, you're supposed to have that. And that's how you actually brand. Because then when people think about your business, they think about the code, um, the, con- the code of conduct. They think about the ethics. They think about what your brand represents. And if you don't have those things in your head, then no one else will. Because that means it's just scattered. So it's almost like, you know, you have to start off by saying, okay, what does my business stand for? What do we represent? How does it look? And if you don't do that, then what's going to happen is you're just going to do a bunch of random things and people are going to make up what your brand is about. Wow. And, and just, just on that, um, you know, you, you had this uh, talk at a Cornerstone um, conference yes. some time ago, and you were talking about the importance of teams um, yes. and, and how, you know, you mentioned it, the, the, the larger team, um, the, the larger slider cut teams, and you've got like a publicist as a, as a black barber, you've got a researcher, you've got a videographer. Um, how do you think that set you apart from other barbers on the high street? And how do you think um, that had an impact on your branding versus just having a business? Um, well, yeah, the, that having a team from early had is this thing that set me apart and also um, advanced me quickly because I understood. And, and you know, there's so much you can talk about when it comes to business, right? From the beginning. One of the main things as well from businesses is understanding and being honest with yourself. Honesty is a massive part of business. If you can't be honest with yourself, it's hard to develop because um, you can't even see the, the, the faults in, and your weak areas. So acknowledging my weak areas is what made me realize from early, okay, so I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that, I'm good at this, I'm good at that. So I need a team to help me with this. You know, I don't respond to my emails because I don't like writing and then it's just, the, and when I do go, get to writing, it takes me so long to write. Um, 
and I have grammar issues, you know. So it's like, I knew that was a weak area of mine. So from when I was a solo barber, sole trader barber, working, just renting a chair in a barber shop, I had a PA and a publicist. So this, so, and it, the reason why I think this point is important for people to understand is I didn't get these things when I quote unquote kind of got bigger and, you know, was this recognizable brand. I didn't then say, okay, let me go get help. Before I was quote unquote anybody, I got the help and I had those people in place and I was paying those people salaries when they weren't making me any money and it wasn't directly showing me any kind of like direct, um, what would that be? Like it wasn't directly, like, you know, feeding me, giving yeah. back to me in a sense, right? I had a publicist, I had a PA who was paying salaries to out of my own, obviously out of my own pocket, out of my own pocket monthly, right? But that helped me excel because that meant that there were things that I was never going to be able to do. It basically gave me six hands. I went from having two hands to having six hands, which means I could get a lot more done. And it meant that the vision of what I wanted Cider Cuts to be was a lot easier to get to because even though my day was filled up with cutting hair and doing my Instagrams and doing my talks and doing all those things there, there are so much things in the back end which we don't see that need doing. Like, you know, um, I remember like my PA and my publicist both helping me um, transcribe my um, vlogs and putting them into blogs. You know, mm. when I was when I when I was blogging to make it clear, my book I did write my book myself just to let everyone know <laughs> before they I didn't. I wrote the book myself to make sure as well, you know, that people know that this was written by me. It wasn't kind of like um <laughs> so now, but you know they helped me with that. You know, mm. all the emails that were coming through, um, they were all picked up. None of them got missed because I had someone taking care of that. You know, yeah. my publishers reaching out to companies and or not companies, like magazines say, you know, like I remember I got into, when I got into GQ, I got into GQ simply because my publicist messaged, I don't know how she found a contact for GQ, messaged GQ and said, look, um, I represent this guy. He's this, he's that, blah, blah, blah. I think he'll be good, whatever she said. Mm-hmm. And um, suddenly, a week later, I was in GQ. <laughs> so, Mark, that's truly amazing. Um, but I think that's, that's what gets, that's what sets you apart, right? Like the not even just a barber, but just like a, as a business, thinking bigger, thinking more um, in depthly about the difference between having a PA publicist. Um, that's you know that's that's brought you to GQ. Let's talk a bit more about Time Out um, and that that magazine cover um, post lockdown. That that was that was huge. Um, how did that happen? Okay, well, yes. Yeah, so as well as having a publicist, just to make it clear as well for people, because I think sometimes people hear these quote-unquote antidotes and be like, okay, so I can get a publicist and this will make it all happen. Like, there's a lot of stuff, even the majority of stuff that comes through, comes through just people like picking um, me up from different places and just seeing me from different places. And this is why even one of the chapters in my book is you're always in an interview. So it's important to know that people are always watching you, whether you know it or not. So it's important for you to be putting like the best version of yourself or what you want people to, I guess, you're just the best version of yourself because people are always interviewing you. So a lot of things have come to me where like even with my publicist, which is still help, where they come into me and then I pass it on to my publicist and then she liaises with them because I can't, I haven't got the time um, to do that and go through all the ins and outs and protocols and all these different things, right? So yeah. even that was from like time out and this is why also harnessing and, you know, make sure you keep in good relationships. Like time out, that was the front cover, but that is now I think the third time I've been in timeout. I think I've been on it two other occasions and they came from um, just picking me up 
from places. And wow. I don't know where this came from or why, but they just messaged and said, hey, you know, um, we are, you know, going back to work and all that kind of stuff there. You know, we, we want to interview you, you know, if, if possible. Now, I said, yes, all good. But basically what I'm trying to say, that all came from, that all came from probably, I'm making an assumption, all the content I was putting out before, mm. during lockdown. So during no. lockdown, I was still putting out content every day. So, you know, especially where people had a lot of time on their hands, they were just sitting there and they had time just to watch now. And, you know, during lockdown, I got approached by probably about four different TV stations asking me to do stuff for them, like main TV stations, right? And this is why it's just kind of like, you never know who's watching you, right? And especially with social media, it's important. that you, you know, you don't stop because everyone else stops. Keep going. You know, mm-hmm. cool, I'm not here. reinvent yourself, you know. You know, you, there's other things you can still be doing. And that's how basically these things um, came about because people were just watching my content still and seeing, okay, this guy's still talking. It's like, you know, other people start picking me up doing stuff. And then whenever people start picking you up doing stuff, what happens is other people start picking you up. You know, it's just kind of like um, yeah. Yeah. the school playground that like no one cares <laughs> for you until everyone cares for you. And they start seeing you doing things with other people and they're like, ooh, <laughs> oh, I, I want to do something with that person as well, you know. <laughs> no, no, and that's what happens, like the domino effect. <laughs> and how did you? Um, so with with your client list, so how how did you get to to build such a client list where you've cut LeBron James's hair, Stormzy, AJ, just name a few. So how how do you go above and beyond to maintain that type of list and also to just get in front of those people anyway? Um. Well, for me, it might be a different game plan now for people in this day and age. But for me, I never, ever, ever focused on getting those clients. And I never, at the time especially, didn't care about having those clients. I wasn't chasing that. So when these these things started coming through, I was focused on my craft. I was focused on being a good barber, you know, running a good business. That was my thing. But then what happened is um, everybody likes a good service and everybody wants a good haircut. So... um, you know, celebrities alike, just like, you know, just like me and you. So where I was putting out content, especially like on social media all the time, regularly haircuts every day and putting out my, my ethics and what I believe as a barber, all those things there, which I didn't realize at the time. So this wasn't like, oh, this wasn't like me knowing what's going to happen. Social media is such a big place that Barack Obama could be looking at your Instagram right now and you'll never know it. And I didn't realize that at the time, but because I always thought like a business, it helped me. So what was happening, people like Anthony Joshua, like let's say Anthony Joshua, Tiny Temper, Reggie Yates, they all saw me on Instagram and they watched my Instagram for a while before they reached out to me to get a haircut, which means they were interviewing me for months, seeing all my haircuts, analyzing the haircuts, seeing what the things I'm saying, you know, is he trustworthy, is he good, all those things there. They were interviewing me and I didn't know I'd been in an interview because, you know, they didn't, they didn't, you know, like... Um, AJ and Tiny never clicked the follow button. So I didn't know they were watching my page. And this is how a lot of these people came because, you know, they were seeing me. Then other ones were like word of mouth recommendations. Like, you know, LeBron James came because um, I cut a guy called Pops Mensah. He is um, a basketball player who um, played in the NBA, but he's, a, he's originally from Tottenham. He got a scholarship when he was like 16 to America. And so every year he'd come back to England to see his family you know, just to see his family. And one day he just walked into the barbershop 
And do you know what's funny about this? This is the one I don't fully understand, though. This is what I'll say. <laughs> Pops Mensah is a basketball player. His, uh, you could say exclusive. I might have spoke about it once before. Pops Mensah is a basketball player, right? Yeah. Played in the NBA. He originally grew up in Tottenham. Then he got a scholarship in, in America, then left. And um, yeah, you know, used to come back every year. He came to the barbershop because he was recommended to come to the barbershop. Now, this is what's funny about it. You know who recommended him to come to the barbershop? His cousin. Nope. You know who his cousin is? Hey. Lethal B. <laughs> <laughs> now, why it's funny is because Lethal B had never been to the barbershop. Wow. So why was Lethal B recommending someone to a barbershop that he'd never been to? Mm. I, you know, like, I, it still doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> but Lethal B had heard about the barbershop. I was like, you know, and this is where your life could have a good reputation. He'd never been to the barbershop, but he's recommended someone to go to that barbershop. Why? Because he's heard about the barbershop. So this is why it's about you're always in an interview and putting out a good reputation. So anyway, Pops meant to come to the barbershop. Um, I'm busy that day. Busy, busy, busy. I'm with a few other barbers, but for some reason, they've just, um, they just been a bit slack, to be honest, that day. I remember it was a Wednesday. I remember it was a Wednesday because it was Damon's day off. Um, and the other barbers were just being long. And I had all these appointments and then I managed and Pops Mensah was the last guy. I don't know who he is. Never met him before. Don't know who he is. And I end up cutting him before these other barbers because they've just been slack. Cut him, give him a good haircut. He likes a haircut. Um, that's it. No problem. A year later, he comes back. Gets a haircut again. You know? And now we start talking. I'm just like, you know, um, yeah, you know, because he's, he's tall. He's, you know, he's tall. He's got a slight American accent. I'm just like, you know, yeah, you know, obviously from America. Like, what are you doing down here? And they just told me that I'm originally from here. I'm like, oh, okay, great. He's like, yeah, you know, I got a scholarship. You know, I said, oh, you play, you play basketball. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm, I'm in the NBA. I was like, who do you play for? He goes, oh, I play for the Houston Rockets. I'm like, oh, okay, this and that. So, you know, cool, gave him a haircut. He liked it. Next time he was back in London, he came back and got a haircut. But then the Olympics came, and obviously he's an NBA player. So when he's talking to the American basketball team, because he just knows them, um, and they had an exhibition game, they're like, oh, you know, you know any good barbers? He's like, yeah, come to my barber. And he recommended me, and that's how I cut. Um, LeBron. But when I went to cut LeBron, what happened was I went in there and there were two other barbers there because there was like the, the team were getting haircuts, the staff were getting haircuts, everybody was getting haircuts. There was like loads of people. Another lesson, I got there early. Another lesson for people, I got there early. I was there before everybody, right? All the other barbers, I was just there first. So I started cutting just some of the staff members, like, you know, like, oh, this person does security or this person is, um, you know, like it's just the random staff, like, you know, this yeah. person might be the person to organize the kits. Yeah. I just started cutting them, right? And they liked the haircuts. So they started saying, hey, every time someone came in, they said, no, 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 go to this barber. He's certified. Because I was there <laughs> early, early as on time. First of all, I've, got, I've now got the vouch. So everyone started going to me. So that day, there was about 24 people that got haircuts, but I cut 16 of them. And then when LeBron came in, I was cutting someone's hair and he walked into the room and he was like, yo, 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 which one of y'all is Pops, um, Pops barber? And I was like, me. He goes, like, cool, cool, cool. You're, you're my barber. Mm -hmm. I'm like, cool. <laughs> you know, because they also because they had seen Pop's haircut when they'd had an exhibition game with him. And this is just it's so basically it's not one thing, it's just about running good business as a 360 thing and not trying to focus on one area. And that's the important thing when you're running business to understand. It's not about I'm just gonna push loads of things on Instagram, but then my work itself is gonna be rubbish, or I'm gonna have amazing work, but then I'm not going to push myself um, you know, on Instagram or promote myself or in my personal life act right. It's about 360. Mm. you know running business as a free 60 you went from sort of a solo barber to now having a business is the plan to um go to a, a chain yeah a chain a franchise yeah. is, that, is that the plan 
you know what? It's not the plan, to be honest. It might be the thing that ends up happening, mm. but it's not the plan. Um, it's the obvious thing, mm-hmm. but there's so much hassle in running business, right? I'm kind of like, I'm not sure. And also, I have this thing where I know myself. I could end up working my whole life mm. and living to work and not working to live. Mm, so I think it's very important in my life for me to understand what is the purpose of what I'm doing and why am I doing it? And from understanding that, making my decisions more than actually just being like, you know, I just want more, I just want more, I just want more. Or just being like, everyone's expecting this from me, so just do it. It's more so about really understanding what do I actually want in our life. And, you know, I could franchise because I love the idea of providing jobs for people. That's a massive thing for me, which is, you know, I love doing. So that could be a reason for me to franchise more than actually me franchising about, you know, just to get cider cups everywhere. It's more so for me in the mindset I'm in right now, it's more so about, you know, providing jobs and creating jobs for people, you know? So yeah, that could happen. But, you know, also I want to open up an, uh, an, an academy which teaches people barbering and business. That's something which I actually want to do. Franchising isn't really something um, I, my heart is set on. It's something that makes sense to do more than something I'm, you get what I'm saying? You know, there's the things out there where it's yeah. like, there are things you will do because it makes sense. And there's things that you'd be like, you know, I want to do. And no, um, the no, academy is something I want to actually do. We'll see. So um, you see yourself um, not just as a barber, but also as a counsellor and a therapist. Um, as, a, as a barber within the black community, where do you think mental health is? That's just a quick, quick question. And then I'll ask you a final one after that. A lot of people from, you know, from our community, from growing up, you know, I've seen friends and things like that, you know, have mental health um, issues on different scales of, you know, the, of that, you know, kind of, of that line. Um, and I can't say that, would you call it, you know, the barbershop is the answer to, you know, mental health or anything like that at all. But what I will say is um, the barbershop is a place where you see a lot of people feel comfortable to come and air out things, you know. I can't give you the answer to mental health, but I can say there is a lot to do with bottling up things and not being able to express yourself and be yourself and feeling kind of like, um, like you know, like a, how is it? Feeling like, what do you call it? Not comfortable, basically. I know can add to it, right? And in the black community, the barbershop for, you know, for donkeys of years has been a place where people can be themselves and can come and can talk and can open up. And the, when you're in, people are in the barbershop, people open up and people have told me things from, you know, they're getting married, they're having a baby, to they're cheating on their partner, to their partner has cheated on them, to they've been stabbed, to they have stabbed someone, to, you know, almost being murdered, to friends being murdered, to people being involved in murders, um, to, think, uh, you know, abuse type things, you know, like just like, so many things where they open up and it's weird because when they come in and they talk about these things right from very early i always said there's something about the barbershop and i didn't know what it was that people come into the chair and they just talk about what's going on in their lives and i clocked onto that from very early and just realized how important this kind of like not relationship but how important this service was which was more than a haircut why my strap line used to be also be as well it's more than a haircut because you come to the barbershop to get more than a haircut and I think it really does help with um, mental health. I can't say it's the answer and it's the solution, you know, and you know, if everybody just gets a haircut, you know, we know mental health issues, but I definitely know it does help.
Beautiful, beautiful. And the final point about your new book, Shaping Up Culture, where can our readers find that book? If you go to slidercuts.com, um, you can buy it from slidercuts.com. Or if, if you want it from Amazon, you can go to Amazon and type in Shaping Up Culture and the book will also come up there. My brother, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for your time. Well, thank you for having me on. I've really enjoyed this conversation. All right, well, hopefully we'll have you on soon. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the We're Building Podcast, where we showcase the best of black-owned businesses in the UK. You've been on with Daniel Pedu and Godman Usman. New episodes will be released bi-weekly. You can catch us across all social media platforms at We're Building Podcast. Stay tuned.